Termit? Hmm? How long are these opening credits? Uh, uh, just about another minute or so. My ears are popping. I wonder how far you could plummet before you blacked out. Well, don't try it, Gonzo. We need you for this movie. Sure is tempting. Kermit? Huh? What does BSC stand for? I don't know. Gee, a lot of people worked on this movie. This is nothing. Wait till you see the end credits. So, Parth, what have you been eating? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you hear that silence, it's because Parth Marate, co-host of the show, is not currently present. And uh, that is for reasons that we will get into. Um, but in the meantime, let me just share that the last thing I ate was a smoothie. My friend who lives with me, Tamara, friend of the show, when the other day found out that we have a segment of the show where we say what we've eaten most recently, she said, Trent, it's now that you have nearly 70 episodes, have you uh, just said that you've had a smoothie like for every meal for the past year? Because she's witnessed me make one too many smoothies apparently and let me let me tell you if you've been a long-term listener of the show most of my intake most of my fuel comes in the liquid form similar to a car um if you can hear that noise in the background um it could be come from a couple different sources number one there were there's a guy i live in new brunswick you know like college students do the dirty bruns for short and there's this guy like, right across my alley, like, every New Brunswick shitty apartment has a creepy basement and then a creepy alley, and across from our creepy alley, I was playing really loud uh, rap music, and he does this a lot, and usually it's not that big of a problem, and it's just, like, a mild annoyance, but today, I was like, if this guy doesn't stop, like, it's actually gonna be a problem with the pod, and the fans at home are gonna be pissed, and so I worked up some courage, and I stuck my head out the window, and I yelled like three or four times, like, hey, can you please turn the music off? And let me tell you, there was no response or um, recognition of my comments. But around 10 minutes later, the music was suddenly shut off. And so don't know about a direct cause and effect there, but I believe the music is currently off. Um, can't say that I had anything to do with it. Can't say the guy heard me. It's probably just a coincidence. And if you hear some, like, fat bass tracks in the background, could be, could be my neighbor just chiming in. The other noise, oh, there's a man shouting in the background. And that's because there are some construction men in my backyard. Because we noticed early on our lease, um, like a scratching sensation, in, in, like, above us in our attic. And we were nervous that it might be like rats or something, but soon we learned that it was squirrels, and like there's like a comical amount of squirrels living in our attic. And so we told our landlord, because like we're sympathetic to the squirrel cause, and like we want them to have a house, but I told my mom, and she's like, squirrels aren't a good long term plan because they're gonna pee, and then that's gonna like be absorbed into your ceiling, and then you're gonna breathe in the squirrel pee, and that'll have long term effects. So we told the landlord, and she sent these people over, and they've been here for the past three days, and um, they seem to be 
patching the holes, but the squirrels are still very much up there, and so we're worried that they're going to trap the squirrels in, and then our new problem is going to be hearing the squirrels screeching, like, with their final breaths, and then then we're going to have a new issue, which will be, like, a rotting squirrel sort of thing, and then we'll have to have a new group of dudes sent to come undo the new holes to then go in and get out the dead squirrels so we can continue to have our shitty apartment. So if you hear anything over the next hour or so, it could be that. Also, if you hear any, like, suspicious long pauses, um, it's probably because I fixed, if you've ever heard the expression, fixed it, fix it in post. Um, editing is going to be um, overused here as I'm only one person, and podcasts are typically two or more people, and so when I run out of things to say, I'm going to have to wait a few seconds to think of a new train of thought, because usually I have like minutes while Parth is rambling to think about my next thing, instead of listening to his insightful remarks. Um, also, YouTube to MP3, shout out to them, because... I'm going to use a lot of your um, copyrighted clips and songs today, largely because there's no second party, and so I need something to fill the space when I run out of things to say. Well, if you've been listening, you may have heard that this is our 69th episode. Um, Craft Services, our podcast, has almost nothing to do with oral sex and neither does our topic for today the Muppet ranking special where I rank all eight of the Muppet motion pictures ranging from 1979 through 2014 actually we can cover this after the introduction music but here's our open here's our intro jingle This is weird, but welcome back to Craft Services, our podcast where we talk about the movies. Uh, each week, we interview someone who worked on a film, and we and then we discuss that film, and it's pretty cool. But this week, we are not doing that. Usually, I'm just 50% of the voices on the show, but today I'm 100%. Because Parth Marate gets the week off. There's a lot to be said about the solo pod as a concept because we we are aware that it's pretty absurd and how it came about is because there's a podcast i like and i bring up every once in a while called the rewatchables the rewatchables is a show from the ringer podcast network and they're hosted by like bill simmons and sean fennessy and company sean fennessy i very much enjoy the uh the work of but they covered castaway you know if you know it or not it's tom hanks and he's alone on an island and so just one host, the main guy, Bill Simmons, did the episode, and he talked for just, like, an hour and a half straight. That, like, goes against everything that podcasts are supposed to stand for, because it's, like, just a totally a bad idea. Together again. Gee, it's good to be together again. I just can't imagine that you've ever been gone. It's not starting over, it's just going on. Together again. Now we're here and there's no need remembering. 
Parth, if you may you may know, really likes Tom Cruise, um, and along with that, he really likes the Mission Impossible movies. And we once talked about Parth wanted to cover like all seven or eight, however many Mission Impossible movies there are. And I was like, dude, I haven't seen one Mission Impossible movie. Like that's a huge commitment. Like that is like three or four months worth of podcast episodes. And so I threw it back at him, and I was like, Parth, that would be like if I said we were gonna do all eight Muppet movies. Parth has never seen the Muppet movies, and I can't say that they're particularly his cup of tea. That led us to thinking, okay, if we ever wanted to talk about our area of study that would require too much background preparation for the other host, then we would just do two separate solo pods. So we only have the next few months planned, but around the hundred episode mark you could perhaps expect something of that variety from parth because it's going to need to be another hundred episodes or so before i attempt to do this again but what i can leak out we about what's coming next and this is yet to be announced so if you're hearing this congrats usually we rev- do the big reveal at the end of the episode but just in the interest of time and in the interest of inverting everything we know about podcasting um what parth and i have lined up for you is what we've been calling prequel winter and as many of you may know star wars is a franchise and speaking of really extensive franchises that a lot of people don't have interest in um parth and i's like venn diagrams of movie watching overlapping overlap somewhere in the vicinity of star wars our first two episodes of the show ever were Star Wars The Force Awakens and Star Wars The Last Jedi with storyboard artist Kurt Vanderbash. And our original plan um, was to start with like doing all of the Star Wars movies because we weren't exactly sure how the format of our show was going to work and how easy it would be to get interviews. And after we got one Star Wars interview, we're like, this is easy money. And then basically from that point on, we've just had to pick and choose with our interviews because like they're kind of hard to get. And it's not like we send out a bunch of emails at once and then we do an episode on whoever, whatever good guest responds first. And so uh, we didn't have the organizational skills back in the day to arrange like a big long term conspiracy with like a sequence of movies. I guess we did do this with John Wick 1 through 3. Um, so good for Parth on the scheduling front. But we've come full circle in that this upcoming winter, you have six episodes coming your way, uh, three interviews. Um, the first one will be Star Wars a Phantom, The Phantom Menace, starring Darth Maul. Our interview is with storyboard artist Benton Jew, and it was pretty great. And we were thinking we haven't done discussion guests in a while, just because Parth and I have kind of found a good rhythm of just shooting the shit between the two of us. And we wanted to have our discussion guests more be like experts, experts in uh, in quotes, just because up to that point, we've just been, we had had episodes earlier on where we were just like, yeah, we just need like a living, breathing person who kind of considers themselves our friend to make this episode more interesting and sometimes that would backfire but we thought in the sake of fun we would have a series of discussion guests with some level of expertise or strong opinions about um, star wars prequels 
and these are not movies that I have watched in a long time since I was like a child and I kind of remember them as nonsense and people don't seem to like them but Parth and I are adults now and we're excited to watch the movies with a fresh pair of eyes oh but to continue we also had an interview with a storyboard artist for Attack of the Clones Mark Sexton which was like fucking dope uh, like we just did that one the other day so I'm still pretty jazzed on it but he told us his meeting Tom Cruise story, classic. He told us a story about him meeting Francis Ford Coppola. Um, he worked on Mad Max Fury Road, and uh, we joked. He was working on Star Wars Phantom Menace and George Miller's Mad Max um, at the same time and was sleeping for like two or three hours a night, and we laughed at him that he was getting tossed between. He was juggling George's, you know. So that interview was great. And our Revenge of the Sith guest was first assistant cameraman Matt Toll, and he worked on some other cool projects uh, like Superman Returns, Mission Impossible 2, The Matrix, Matrix Reloaded, he worked on The Thin Red Line, he worked on Alien Covenant, he worked on Deep Blue Sea, um, he shared some pretty fun stories about that, so uh, I guess stay tuned for those if you like star wars or prequels or any of the above um those episodes will take us through the new year i believe um i think parth wants to do like an end of the year special kind of like we did last year where we just like talked about our favorite films of the year but we also did an oscar special and so i think i'm going to try to convince him to try to do something fun for the end of the year special and so just we can have the best movies of the year conversation with the oscars um, just to avoid any unnecessary conversational overlap. But um, these are exciting times to have a podcast. Not all podcasts, but this one in particular. Um, if you follow our Instagram, you may um, have heard about our Team Deacons internet duel um, in that we have a long-term running joke um, with esteemed cinematographer of such films as... Um, Shawshank Redemption, and 1917. There are additional examples, but uh, Roger Deakins has a podcast called Team Deakins, and he has on some of like the most talented people um, in the world. And his podcast is almost identical in concept to ours, and it originated just a few months prior. And we like to joke that Team Deakins stole our concept the real the 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 duel came to a head when guest of our guest and friend of the show Alwyn Kukler, the cinematographer of Steve Jobs, um, went from being a guest on our show to being a guest on the Team Deacons pod. So, like I understand, like he had a big opportunity to speak with like one of the greatest living visual geniuses, you know, of the last a hundred years. But a uh, little bit of a sellout moment. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, and if the members of the Team Deacons pod need to come on to our show to settle this dispute, I think that would be the most democratic way to settle it. Until then, um, we're at war. And if any people from the Team Deacons legal team or council are listening to this, you've been called out. Craft Services Incorporated has a lot of money to back up these bold claims, so do not test us. 
Life's like a movie. Write your own ending. Keep believing. Keep pretending. We've done just what we set out to do. Sorry I got on a little bit of a tangent there, but even though we're already 15 minutes into this episode, we're here for a reason today. Um, let me blow my nose, but then we'll talk about why we're here. Okay, so the reason we are here today, as I alluded to earlier, is to rank all of the Muppet films. Um, or, well, actually, a lot of clarification has to go down here. We're ranking all eight of the Muppet major motion pictures. Um, there are a lot of Muppet TV movies or things that are like 40 or 50 minutes that, you know, one might argue is of movie variety, but this is movies that were, you know, distributed widely in theaters and not at home releases. Just to get us started, um, the eight movies we will be discussing about most prominently today are the Muppet movie the first in 1979, The Great Muppet Caper in 1981, The Muppets Take Manhattan from 1984, The Muppets Christmas Carol 1992, The M Muppets Treasure Island 1996, Muppets from Space 1999, um, some argue the greatest year in cinema history, at least modern cinema history, but Muppets from Space being released then certainly doesn't hurt their case. Um, the Muppets reboot, or just quote The Muppets from 2011, and then The Muppets Most Wanted in 2014. And part of what inspired this conversation, or not conversation, this monologue, um, just for a little bit more context, is in early October, I got um, the COVID-19, and I couldn't leave my room for like two weeks. And so I thought, okay, life is pretty dark right now. The only thing that can bring me out of this like emotional hole is soup and watching all the Muppet movies. Um, and so within the span of... The, the worst of my illness over the course of like four days, I think I watched... Must have watched 15 or plus hours of Muppets content. So I was really binging. Um, because I've always, I've always liked the Muppets, but also... Um, in a childlike wonder sort of way, just in like there are good things in the world when you were coughing a lot. That's what sort of sent me down this rabbit hole and gave me this initial idea because an I was planning to record it while I was very sick because that would make sense because, oh, isolation, even though Parth and I often d record separately anyway, um, it was going to be that Trent is in a box and physically he has nothing to do um, but watch all the Muppet movies and then talk about them to himself. Um, but I was very ill, and I didn't have the time or really the inspiration or the... Not the know-how. I could have done it, but I at every moment I chose not to. But basically I pushed this down the line for uh, now about two months, and we needed a special episode after our big Dark Night week and before prequel winter kicked in. And so Parth slotted me in 
for a little solo pod, and it coincidentally fell on the 69th episode. Uh, we won't spend too much time on that, but 69 is a silly number, and so we thought we might as well do a silly, off-brand sort of episode. Sort of like April 1st, you know? Yep. So, oh, another thing is that uh, in recent Muppet news, um, if you are a Disney Plus subscriber, uh, or you use your friend's account like I do, um, you may have seen that the newest Muppets project to be released was Muppets Haunted Mansion, which came out at some point in uh, mid-October, and it's about 40 or 45 minutes, maybe 50 minutes long, and I was preparing mentally when I saw it announced to include it in this discussion, and then I watched it yesterday in preparation, and it was not long enough, and uh, I mean, not to split hairs, but it wasn't particularly good enough to be involved in this. But also, if you look up Muppet rankings online, like, the Disney Plus Straight 2 releases aren't counted anyway, so I wanted to play it by the rules a little bit and only cover the core subjects. Um, I will slightly add about the Haunted Mansion. Sorry, okay, so what I will mention about the Haunted Mansion is that um, over the summer, I went to Disneyland, and as a child, I was taken to Disney World, and... I was at the age where I was scared of everything. Me and my sister didn't want to go on any of the scary rides because that's at the age where, like, everything is terrifying. And so all most of what I remember of Disney is, like, my dad coming off the Tower of Terror while me and my mom and my sister, like, sat by the waiting area. And, like, we were all jazzed, and we were proud that my dad got to go on the rides because he was braver than we were. But time has passed. Uh, and basically, once I got a little older, I looked back on my time in the, these amusement parks. Now that I was, I wasn't having nightmares about Edward Scissorhands every night. Um, I would watch YouTube videos of ride along, ride along footage from the Jurassic Park ride at Universal or whatever, and I'd be like, "Fuck, that looked awesome. I should have done that while I was there." And, and another family vacation isn't going to come anytime soon. Um, thought as an adult that I should go all the way to Disneyland to go on all of like the more mature Disney rides that I could really appreciate as an adult. Let me tell you, I got to Disneyland. It was in August. Um, it didn't take long for me to find out that the Haunted Mansion, the ride I was most excited about, or up there, was close to renovations in preparation for the Halloween season as they were putting Nightmare Before Christmas sort of a spin on it. And I was truly bummed. But while we're here, Disneyland was still pretty cool. But it doesn't include any Muppets-related attractions like Disney World does. They have a ride called Muppets 3D. But since Disney owns the rights to uh, this intellectual property, many argue that they are squandering it because um, they... We'll get into this in the brief oral history um, that I'm about to do. The Muppets were acquired from... The Muppets were acquired by Disney in 2004, and there was a CEO switch-off from Michael Eisner into Bob Iger, um, if you know, if you care anything about Disney CEOs. And basically over the past 15 years, there have been pretty scarce Muppets releases, and what there's been has been sort of a mixed bag. So I think I'm going to do what I can to go into the production history, which I've labeled the brief oral history, just because... We're covering so many movies, and usually we do one in-depth 
um, production background uh, of the one film. I'm going to do fun facts about the one film. And now we are covering essentially Jim Henson's entire career and at least eight movies, plus a bunch more than I might mention along the way. So, with a little help from Wikipedia, um, I have assembled cheat sheet of talking points that I'm going to attempt to summarize a very smart, creative man's uh, career into, you know, just a few lousy paragraphs. Well, hey, am I not trying to the cows back there? Yeah. Now, now, those cows, those are real cows. I mean, those are cows that are out here, they eat grass, they, uh, you know, they, they, they give milk. Those are cows. Well, I don't give milk, but I'm a bear. No, no, no. But a real bear is, a, is sort of a thing with, he's got sharp teeth and he... And now, he uh, hold, now, wait a second. Now, wait a second. Do you have sharp teeth? I, I don't have teeth. No. I mean, do you hibernate? Uh, well, only with friends. No, no. See, you're not a real bear. Now, wait a minute. Now, look. I feel in my very bones. But you don't. You don't no, 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 wait a minute. That I you don't even. You don't here. even have bones. That I what? You don't even have bones. What do you mean I don't have? I bones? mean a real bear has bones. What do you have? You've got sort of a uh, sort of a fake fur. You've got foam rubber. What? Well, I mean, what? You know, what would you say? I, you I had what? You got foam rubber and fake fur. You're you, an you're an artificial bear. You're telling me I have foam rubber? Have you ever seen a bear with a magenta nose? I got a newsflash for you, kid. What? Frog, you want to you hurt, you want, you hurt me, I'm going to have to hurt you. You ready for this? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. You got a wire on your arm. What? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say it. I got a what? I didn't mean to hurt you. A wire on my arm? Yes, but it's only for movement. Um, okay, so here we go. Um, basically, Jim Henson went to the University of Maryland. I bring that up only because when I was touring colleges, they brought that up, and there was a statue of him and Kermit the Frog, and I didn't have a whole lot of interest when I was touring colleges and high school. I, I still thought I might want to like, go into political science or biology or some bullshit. <coughs> and um, I saw the Jim Henson statue, and I was like, huh, seems like a pretty cool place, maybe for that reason alone. And I didn't end up going there for a variety of reasons, but um, moving on. So Jim Henson, while he was in college, had his, what we'll call his commercial beginnings. And um, as a very young person, he like produced his own show called Sam and Friends on public television. And then that led to him getting like small advertising spots or appearing on like talk shows, like just because puppetry sort of like a forgotten art that sort of like this modern funny puppetry coming around was and him being such you know a uh, a renaissance artist with it um started people started to pay attention and then his first major success is sesame street um which started in 1969 and continues to this day you know probably one of the most successful children's shows uh, of all time and a sidebar is that um, me and my mom we talk Parth and I talk a lot about movies about make us cry on this show and a movie that made me kind of emotional was there was a documentary called Street Gang how we got to Sesame Street and um, it's about the life and times of Jim Henson and um, Frank Oz and beyond and it's really great, and 
Um, I may have shed a single tear while watching it on a rainy day with my mom in the theater that I worked at, at in high school. Um, the other thing I'll say is that if the Muppets are of interest to you, or um, just general movie nonsense, like clearly you're 20 minutes into this episode, so you like talking about bullshit like the rest of us, um, the Museum of Moving Image in Queens, New York, New York, um, has the Jim Henson exhibit that is really fucking awesome, and it's just like a few subway stops to get there, um, and so if you're in the general vicinity, um, they do like really cool screenings. I saw a Q&A of the director's cut of Midsommar with Ari Aster there, and they do like screenings of Stanley Kubrick movies, and they do screenings of the Muppet movies every so often, and it's a really cool place, and you should give them your business, I guess, but, um, like, you can go there and they have, like, the original Kermit the Frog, the original Big Bird, all this shit. It's really fucking cool. Um, so you should make a trip if, if you're listening to me fucking babble about the Muppets. You, you clearly are invested to some degree. Uh, continuing. He famously did not want to become the kid puppetry guy, which I understand. Um, and so after Sesame Street, he wanted the Muppets to have their own TV show, and he did two pilots um, labeled Muppets Sex and Violence, literally in the name to say this is the Muppets, but like for adults, and pitched it, and you can watch some of the footage online because this was not picked up, and uh, probably because something was a little off about it. It was a little weird. Like, I'm an adult, and so when I heard that this existed, I was like, oh my gosh, this is everything I've dreamed of and more. But it's just like a weird middle ground of, like, PG-13 humor said from the Muppets. And the Muppets are, like, so funny because it's, like, the jokes that you can make to the parents, like, with the kids in the room without the kids noticing because it's, like, also tongue-in-cheek and dry. And also there's just so much physical, bright humor going on also for the kids in the audience. So it's really a beautiful balance. Um, But Muppets, Sex and Violence didn't go anywhere. Another thing that didn't go anywhere is the Muppets were prominently featured on uh, season one of SNL, Saturday Night Live, for those of you who don't know. And John Belushi has a famous quote about not wanting to act opposite the Muppets or that the Muppets were taking up their screen time, um, which I understand because they were like perform you know, their performance and the Muppets are fictional people. And also just, uh, they didn't appear on any season after that because the Muppet format was just conflicting with what SNL was trying to do. But they both they both uh, succeeded in their own right from that point on. Tonight, an incredible stunt by Gonzo the Great and stand-up comedy by Fuzzy Bear! As in, his comedy will make you stand up and go get a refund! <laughs> <laughs> show is we don't give a high damn about the show we work for the venue that's right and the venue has rules they are printed on the back of your ticket follow them and we won't have a problem everybody here paid good money to hear this little dragon and his friends (laughs) do their thing so please let them do their thing without talking but the show is bad you are more than welcome to leave but who you are more than welcome to leave we just you are more 
The Muppet Show started in 1976, and it ran for five years. And at the time, it was one of like the most heavily aired and successful TV programs, um, specifically because it was designed to be a kid's show that parents wouldn't mind watching in the background or having their kids obsessively tune in for because they would laugh at some of the jokes. And over its five-year course, it won four Emmys. It was nominated 21 times. Some of the key episodes or the most famous people at the time who hosted were Steve Martin, Ellen John, Rita Moreno, and Liza Minnelli. And if you have Disney+, Plus, you'll know that they recently added The Muppet Show um, to their portfolio. And when this happened, I was very excited because The Muppet Show is really hard to find on DVD and not available on the internet anywhere. And I would, had been mad at Disney for years for withholding it, and they finally put it out. And I kind of learned that it's like watching old episodes of SNL where you like don't know or care about the celebrity host. And so you're like, every joke is sort of based around me understanding who this person is and why they're famous. Liza Minnelli, I've heard your name before, but, like, I barely know who you are. And so I watched the key episodes with Steve Martin and, and stuff, and it's kind of funny, but it has aged a little bit. And um, if you follow the Republican Party... So Disney, when they released this stuff, because the show was made in the 70s, there was a lot of little things that didn't age well. And so over the episodes where that was the case and things were cut there was like a little no notice over the screen saying we depicted Hawaiian people as, like in an unsavory way and this is what we changed, which as a way of correcting your history, Disney, it was a good idea. And the Republican Party got all up in arms saying, hey, now they're canceling the Muppets. Um, but dearest Republicans, the Muppets are not for you. Why don't you introduce yourselves again and let's meet your puppets. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Uh, hi, I'm Jeff. And howdy, I'm Ranger Robbie. Y you know what? Can I change that? I already want to change it. Uh, that's fine. We're just feeling things out. How about you? Uh, hi, I'm Bonnie. And I'm Nikki. And I'm like totally into shopping. Like, shop till you drop. Da 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 da. Charge it. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun, Nikki. And you? My name is Anthony Peter Coleman, formerly private first class. United States Army, dishonorable discharge, May 19th, 1983. Okay, and Anthony, what is your puppet's name? Tony. And can we hear a little bit about Tony? Go ahead, tell him what happened. There was a rebel village five clicks down the road. Word came down from top brass. Make it disappear. We, we didn't know any better. We were, we were kids. I watched myself pick up the flamethrower, and I just went off. Okay, well, let's not get too deep into our... Let's not get too deep into our backstories just yet. Like, like maybe start with some fun, silly facts, you know? Like, I've got a sweet tooth, okay? What about, what about you, Ranger? Can I change that? I really want to. It's, it's, you're fine, absolutely. Uh, how about you, Nikki? I'm like so into my phone. I'm always like, 
Texting, texting, texting. LOL. <laughs> Nobody was laughing out loud that day in Grenada. But many people were saying OMG. And me, I was saying TTYL to my innocence. After the success of the first few seasons of The Muppet Show, Muppet Movie started coming out, which we will thoroughly cover. Trust me. But other than that, uh, there's The Muppet Babies, which became a cartoon, or which became a TV show spinoff in the 80s that people were really into, um, which premiered in um, The Muppets Take Manhattan. Um, then there's two Jim Henson movies, Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Um, Labyrinth is the one with David Bowie in it, I'm pretty sure. And I've tried to watch both, and um, not what we're here to talk about today, but I think they're both a little bit nonsense. Um, but people really seem to like these movies. Before Jim Henson's death in 1990, he had the Jim Henson Hour, sort of like the Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock um, Hour. And I watched a little bit of it, and it's like with your favorite Muppet characters, and probably everyone behind the scenes operating them is all the same. But there's no way to describe this, but that it like looks like an amusement park, like, cutscene for like the Simpsons ride or something just in that it doesn't look like it has the production value to uphold the standard of Muppets that I have grown accustomed to um, not to end on a down note but then Jim Henson died in 1990 at the age of 54 I believe of pneumonia very sad um, premature I imagine like that was only like 20 or fuck that was 30 years ago but still, like, there are 80-year-olds like Martin Scorsese and Ridley Scott who are still making movies. So there's an alternate world where Jim Henson would still be alive making Muppet movies, which would be fucking crazy. Then, into the 90s, there was a sort of reboot of The Muppet Show, or an, an attempt at doing The Muppet Show again, with Muppets Tonight. Um, I think it ran for two seasons. Um, it wasn't hosted by Kermit, like The Muppet Show was. It was hosted by this new character named Clifford who I don't like, um, but it was essentially taking up the structure rather of, like, running a, a play sort of thing. Now they're running, like, a TV interview show, like, of the 90s, like, very Letterman, Jay Leno. Um, and some of the notable guests were Billy Crystal. The season opener is with Michelle Pfeiffer, which is, like, so baller. Now there's the artist formerly known as Prince, uh, Sandra Bullock, John Goodman, Whoopi Goldberg, Arsenio Hall, Martin Short, and Rick Moranis. So actually a pretty stacked lineup. Um, I've watched a few of the episodes, and they're okay. Um, something is missing, but having celebrities that you know and care about and who are still relevant today is totally helps, because um, just people who were famous in the 70s kind of aren't famous now. But Billy Crystal, still happy to, happy to see him on screen. Okay, so now there are two key TV movies worth our time. And those are, it's a very Muppet Christmas from 2002, and Muppets Wizard of Oz from 2005. And all I can say about these are, um, I've only like half watched A Very Muppet Christmas, but it's been brought up on this show before when Parth brought it, brought it to my attention that there was an internet conspiracy about this very film, in that it takes up the structure of It's a Wonderful Life, in that Kermit says he wished he'd never been born. And then the ghost of Christmas past and present and future or whatever. Um, wait, I don't know. That's A Christmas Carol. 
I'm getting my Christmas movies mixed up. But basically, he's... Oh, yeah. He sees what the world looks like without his involvement. And he goes to Miss Piggy's house, and there's, like, a matte background through her window, and it shows the Twin Towers. And this movie's made in 2002, and so people on the internet have had a little bit too much time on their hands to set up the conspiracy that technically this movie does posit that in the alternate reality where Kermit was never born, the Twin Towers are still standing. And from a butterfly um, effect sort of way, like maybe, um, but I've heard the director, Kirk Thatcher, respond to this on Twitter, and he very simply said, um, we used a mat of the New York City skyline from before, and due to production error, no one noticed. Which is very understandable. Um, personally, I'm of the stance that Kermit the Frog didn't have anything to do with what happened on September 11th. But we're not implying that the Muppets somehow caused 9-11, are we? <laughs> That's exactly what we're implying. Think about it. Bert showed up in a pro-Bin Laden protest in Bangladesh a mere month after 9-11. We laughed it off like it was fucking baby cake. But what if they were telling us something? What if they've always been trying to tell us something? The Muppets have had their pilly felt hands in countless national disasters that I will now count. Elmo and Saddam, Elmo and the Unabomber, Big Bird and the f***ing Challenger explosion, kids! 9-11 was a Muppet caper! We should be ashamed of ourselves. Oh, yeah. But now we have the proof. Call me crazy, though. Um, and Muppets Wizard of Oz was the first property, uh, the first thing Disney released with the Muppets under their name. And um, it's considered really fucking bad, which is believable. But um, I will play a clip of Quentin Tarantino, famous director, fresh off of Kill Bill. And then, just as Dorothy and the Wicked Witch charge at each other, BAM! <laughs> Blowout fight scene! The gals whip out these huge samurai swords! And they just tear it up! I'm talking kung fu! Uh -huh. I'm talking walking on walls! I'm talking explosions everywhere! I'm talking Oz in flames! Bird, baby, bird! You digging it? Uh, well, yeah, the sounds are a bit violent for a family film. Okay, cool, cool, okay. We pull back on the fight scene. No explosions, no burn, baby, burn. Mm -hmm. All mm -hmm. right, you know, less kung fu. Yeah, yeah. But instead, what we have, uh -huh. are you ready? Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Morphing. Morphing? Morphing, crazy morphing. We're talking piggy, transforming into gonzo, mutating into scooter, scooter turning into a big, Busty vampire vixen who explodes in a sea of crimson blood. <laughs> All done in the classic Japanese anime style, you know, like for the kids? Uh, yeah, uh, sounds uh, expensive. Okay, okay. Uh, think, 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 think. I can work with this, just don't worry about it. Think, think. I got it. Dorothy! Bang! <laughs> Goes to kick the wicked witch. Are you ready? Yeah. You ready for this? Here it comes. Uh, yes, yes. In the face. 
Oh, now that we can afford. Quentin Tarantino is a longtime fan, fan of the Muppets, and I watched some interviews, and he said that he would make he wanted to meet the Muppets so bad that he would make an appearance in one of the films, and they wrote a two-minute scene that's just Quentin Tarantino, like, going off, like, playing himself, and essentially breaking the fourth wall and talking to Kermit the Frog about how they should play the next scene in the Wizard of Oz adaptation. And it's fucking wild. I'll play it, but that movie doesn't require any further analysis. After the success of shows like, you know, The Office and Parks and Rec and the very, the structure of a work environment and then personalized interviews and, you know, uh, basically the Muppets adapted this uh, and much like Muppets Tonight, they're running their own late night show and Miss Piggy's the host and basically it's a ripoff of The Office. And as someone who loves The Office and The Muppets, this is very funny. And it was canceled after one season. And, um, like, I see why. Like, it's definitely an acquired taste. Um, but it's on Disney+. And I kind of can't recommend it enough. It is very easy viewing if you like either of those things. Yo, a little green dude. Yeah? Uh, how about we film the series in that crazy handheld documentary style and have cutaways to one-on-one -on -one interviews? Oh, no, that's terrific, Floyd. Uh, everybody like that idea? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's wonderful. Cut to interviews? That is just a totally overused device to make easy jokes. You know, talking to the camera about how you really feel and then cutting back and saying something completely different. I just hate that. I love it. Great device. Like, it's a little bit stupid, but um, at the comedy is surprisingly highbrow. Like, I think a problem that the watching Muppets-related things sometimes is that it can be a little... You're like, fuck, I'm 20. <laughs> like, I'm a little above this joke. Not above it intellectually, but just this was meant for an 8-year-old. And uh, Muppets on ABC is very much meant as an adult or more mature show. And um, as we'll get into, that is what... Like how I like the Haunted Mansion at Disney World, I like stupid shit, but I like the few glimmering adult things that I can like about something stupid, you know? Isn't that life? The closing notes are uh, that Disney Plus has also released a Muppets Babies reboot, which looks fucking terrible, and Muppets Now, which I just put in quotes, is Garbaggio. Um, and then, most recently, just a month ago, was the Muppets Haunted Mansion, which um, I watched, and it's very short. There's kind of not that much to unpack. Um, but the songs are really not great, and, um, like, Will Arnett's in it, and he plays the lead human role, and a big, <sighs> a big, a hard balance to find in the Muppet movies is involvement of human characters, and, um, the humans really need to find, like, a good place on the back burner, and you start to get into trouble when they become too prominent and when they become important to the story. Well, moving on to our fun facts section, this is going to be a little bit of a shit show. I just put about two fun facts for each film, um, and so hopefully it'll make up just one really long fun fact section, and we're just going to try to breeze through, and this should go in chronological order. 
Um, in the Muppet movie 1979, n no movie before this had a hand puppet act with its entire body appearing on screen. Um, and the major accomplishment was seeing Kermit's Kermit with legs. Up to that point, you'd only seen hand puppets seen from the waist up. Um, the, this is also the first movie that they had made Kermit ride a bike. And it's absolutely incredible, and you can watch the footage online and ha to get a puppet to ride a bike. It's very difficult. But uh, we'll talk about that for a great Muppet caper, because they weren't up to themselves. So in the spirit of practical effects, uh, in the final sequence where Animal accidentally eats uh, Dr. Bunsen and Mr. Honeydew's Instagrow pills, he grows uh, massively in size, and... Um, Jim Henson insisted that they actually construct the gigantic 60-foot animal head, and um, that's awesome. So, like I mentioned, in The Great Muppet Caper, the bike riding sequence was accomplished, because if you've seen the movie, they have, like, all the whole cast, um, like, 20 puppets or so, all riding separate bikes at once, and it's, like, really incredible. And they did this through a combination of radio-controlled bikes, marionette rigging, and in some cases attaching several bikes together with rods so they could stand up upright on their own. Director Jim Henson did not like the working title for this movie, Muppet Mania, and had various friends, staff members, and relatives suggest titles for the movie. Some of the more interesting titles included The Rocky Muppet Picture Show and A Froggy Day in London. The winning title was suggested by 19-year-old Lisa Henson, I guess that's Jim Henson's daughter, who came up with The Great Muppet Capade, but also included several alternative choices of words, including escapade, as Pigcade, as in Miss Piggy, and Caper, and it went, ended up being the Great Muppet Caper. Miss Piggy's underwater musical numbers in the film were the most difficult scene to shoot, mostly because of communication problems, lighting, cameraman, cameras, speakers, and monitors were all underwater. 18 professional swimmers had to dive into the pool at the exact same moment to execute the scene. It is fucking awesome. Moving on. Um, the portrait of Kermit the Frog... Uh, in his producer's disguise has become a permanent fixture at the real Sardis in New York City, and it can be seen um, in other movies set there. This is from The Muppets Take Manhattan, when Kermit goes to a restaurant dressed up as a producer, and they put his picture on the wall, and it's still there. Um, the Muppets Take Manhattan is the first Muppets movie in which the fourth wall is never broken, um, is that the Muppets are really good at that. There's a scene in the... In Muppets Make Take Manhattan, which I like specifically do not like in a movie that I really love, and it's the scene between Joan Rivers and Miss Piggy like applying makeup onto each other, and it's kind of not funny, but I like the fact that after several less satisfying takes of the scene, Frank Oz and Joan Rivers both ordered two gin and tonics, <clears throat> and then they chatted and they got tipsy, and then they used the next take in the movie because sometimes you just need to get a little loosey goosey if you're gonna have argument with a puppet pig um in an interview kermit the frog stated that the most important piece of acting advice ever given to him was by sir michael Caine on the set of this movie and his advice was to never blink so now we're on to the, uh, the muppets christmas carol and i will pause here to say that as someone who owns the muppets from space on dvd there is a you know i'm a Parth and I are both film nerds, so we both like director's commentaries and the like. And there's a director's commentary track with Tim Hill, the director, along with Pepe, the King Prawn, and Rizzo the Rat, and Kermit the Frog, briefly. And I've watched this, and it's so fucking funny. And today I learned that The Muppet Christmas Carol and 
uh, Muppet Treasure Island have similar features of real commentary, uh, inter like intercut with like Gonzo making funny comments about what's happening on screen, and um, just letting you know that if you have any of those films on DVD, to go check the special features options because um, you could be sitting on a treasure chest of knowledge. Well, now we're on to The Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, the song When Love Is Gone was dropped from the theatrical release over objections of producer and director Brian Henson at the request of Disney chairperson Jeffrey Katzenberg, who considered it too sad for young children, and the last-minute decision resulted in a jarring edit in the scene from which it was removed and caused some confusion about Scrooge, Gonzo, and Rizzo's reactions. And I watched this movie for the first time yesterday, and I noticed, huh, what a weird little cut. And for a movie that's already surprisingly dark for a kid's movie, um, I say this because both the ghost of Christmas past, who looks like a floating child, and the ghost of Christmas Future, who's just like a straight-up demon, are both very scary, and I remember kids from when I was younger being, like, having nightmares about those, and for, some, and for that reason I always avoided this movie. Moving forward. Um, Hormel Foods Corporation's maker of Spam sued the production company for making the name of a warthog character in Muppet Treasure Island, Spam, and their suit was defeated on September 22, 1995, when the judge noted, One might think Hormel would welcome the association with a genuine sense of pork. Which is funny. Um, good stuff, legal system. After Jim Henson's death, R Rolf the dog was not recast for several years, as he was considered the character closest to Henson's actual personality, even more so than Kermit. And for several movies after his death, they sort of retired Ralph and... He could appear in the movies, but he didn't have speaking lines, or even up through the next decade or so, Rolf would just have, like, one speaking line in the background of a scene as to not infringe on Jim Henson's sacred ground. Well, if you've seen Muppet Treasure Island, it's a pretty solid film, but the thing I hate most about it is the main human character boy played by Kevin Bishop, he sings a bunch of songs, and I didn't know this until doing the research, but apparently he was going through puberty, as teenagers do, and his voice was changing, and so they had to overdub all of his singing performances with older recordings, and it looks really bad, and it sounds pretty bad. I look around here and I want to cry. Ah, me too. I feel like the world hey, hey, hey. is passing me by. Which is unfortunate. Um... But that's okay. Everyone has puberty eventually. While pr promoting the Muppets reboot in 2011, um, Kermit the Frog said in an interview, with all, due respect, with all due respect to Muppets from Space, you don't want that to be the last movie you ever do. You want to do a better one. Um, which we'll get to, but I just love quoting Kermit the Frog like he's a real person in interviews. Uh, Muppets from Space... Um, Marks the first major role for Pepe the King Prawn, who was uh, an invention from Muppets Tonight era, and Muppets from Space is the last movie to have Frank Oz's involvement. Um, another reason why I love this movie is because it's the first Muppet film not to be a traditional music film with original music, and instead the soundtrack is primarily classical soul and funk tracks. <laughs> Oh, 
funky um now on to jumping forward 13 years now we're in 2011 and it's muppets reboot and uh it's the first this is the first muppets movie to win an oscar as it won for best original song for man or muppet i'm a man Which um, is a, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty catchy tune, and a role in that movie of Tex Richmond was written for Alan Rickman, and that would have been awesome. Uh, producers uh, Jason Segel um, was given a feedback card. Jason Segel also stars in the movie alongside Amy Adams, who are both America's sweethearts. Uh, Jason Segel, if you haven't seen the film uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, he does a vampire puppet movie in that. He clearly cares about puppets a lot, and um, he does a great job in this movie, but he was given a comment card from a children's audience talking about what they didn't like in the test greeting, and uh, the producers gave it to him to, quote, keep him humble, and it said, the child wrote that they, what they didn't like about the film was specifically Gary's face, which, sorry to the Siegel family. Um, Shortly before the DVD release of Muppets 2011, Courtney Love, the widow of Kurt Cobain, gave an interview in which she accused the Muppets of raping Cobain's legacy by covering Nirvana's song Smells Like Teen Spirit as a barbershop quartet, and that the filmmakers never received her permission. Um, this is funny because surviving Nirvana members, uh, Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl, um, both made an appearance in the film playing, um, having cameos in Animal's band. Um, and they both, quote, loved the rendition of the song. Oh, no, it's a barbershop quartet! Wait a minute, what are you doing? With the lights out! Here we are now! Entertain You're ruining one of the greatest songs of all time! An appearance by Elmo the small red monster from Sesame Street was planned for this film, but um, due to actual legal trouble since the Disney acquisition, this was not made possible, even though Sesame Street characters had appeared um, perfectly legally in like five or six Muppet movies up to that point, but that was no longer possible. Okay, a few more things here. Don't worry, we're closing out. Danny Trejo, um, famous Hollywood tough guy, uh, appears in Muppets Most Wanted, and the first result on IMDb trivia was that his mother passed away while he was filming his last scenes in the movie, and he had to fly back and forth to see his mom. Everyone was offering their condolences, and Trejo wasn't cracking at all. He was being his normal tough guy. And Steve Whitmire, the 
Kermit, uh, the Kermit operator at that time, offered his condolences in character, and Dane Trejo began break. He broke down and cried, which is perfectly understandable. If Kermit the Frog talked to me directly, I might, I might crumble. Um, And I'll briefly bring up Steve Whitmire because he was. I did a surprising amount of research on him today, and he was the voice of Kermit up until, uh, like, through 2015, and then from that point, he's been replaced by this other guy, Matt Vogel, and Steve Wintmeyer was fired from Disney amid controversy, and apparently he's kind of an asshole, um, which is unfortunate because it resulted in them retiring Rizzo the Rat, which was, like, his, one of his main characters, and that's sad because Rizzo is hilarious. And also Steve Wintmeyer, even if he was a douche, his Kermit voice was great. And this new guy, Matt Vogels, I don't want to spend too much time on it. But, like, if you watch Muppets Haunted Mansion, it's, like, it's really bad. Like, it doesn't even sound, like, all like you know, anyone and their, everyone's dad can do a bad Kermit the Frog impression. And this sounds like a below average Kermit the Frog impression. Hey, Gonzo! Hey, Kermit, what a great costume. Thanks. Uh, you know, Piggy thought it would be funny if we go friends. Guess who I am? I'm Kermit, and Kermit is me. Get it? Go on, say it. Say it. Come on. Uh, hey, Kirby. Who is the most amazing girl in the universe? Yes, Piggy. You are. Yay! <laughs> Guess who wrote that? I did. I did. It's it's not good, and really, it's hard to take them up it seriously if Kermit the Frog's voice is just the tiniest bit off. Um, last fun fact is that in the opening song of Muppets Must Wanted, the most recent film, um, Walter suggests calling the movie Muppets Again, um, and that was the working title through all of the filming, and then it was at the last second changed to Muppets Must Wanted, and that sucks because I think Muppets Again is a much funnier title. As usual for this show, we have some one-star reviews. And as usual, I have prepared too many because Parth isn't here to um, t- tell me to limit them to three. So let me let me read some. Um, one star by Kathy G. Not a good movie for little ones. I wish there was an option with Amazon to watch 15 minutes, then decline a movie rental. This film may be great, but I rented it for my grandson. At age three, he was bored with it almost immediately. The humor seems geared towards adults, and except for Kermit appearing in the first part of the story, very little focus on Muppets and much more sophisticated storyline than expected. Oh well, last time, I'm gonna rent on here. Few things. I can't say any Muppet movie, you can use the complaint of very little focus on Muppets, because it's in the name. So much so that I was talking about the Muppets in a group of people the other day who didn't know about the Muppets and I was like it's funny because anyone can act like they know about the Muppets because every Muppet movie is just like either called the Muppets or the Muppet movie or has some iteration of the Muppets so you can really act pretty knowledgeable on the subject just by throwing the word Muppet around also if you throw if you show a movie to a three-year-old and, like, they're not into it. I don't know, like, how much are three-year-olds really paying attention? Like, Parth told the story last week of him watching Lord of the Rings at age three, and so Parth is able to stand, like, that three-hour movie in theaters without crying, and your three-year-old can we watch this, like, family-friendly film? Sounds like you have a nerd for a baby. Tough. Um, on to the next review by Rex, and it says, 
I would give this no stars if I could, but I can't, so I'm going to give it one star. And it says, no stars. The movie had a lot of inappropriate sexual innuendo, if this was supposed to be a family movie. Very disturbing violent image with Miss Piggy that would frighten smaller children. Very disappointing installment. Um, yeah, all the Muppet movies are specifically and strategically G-rated, so interpret that as you will. This is a review for Muppets from Space, and it said, very painful. And it says, I just finished watching this with my son. I think the person who wrote this, the person who directed it, and all the people who produced it should be severely punished and never be allowed to make another movie. Too much and too dark escaping the government agency. Way, way too many disco songs, especially the finale. I wish we could all get all the time and energy back that was used to create this movie and then dedicate it to something worthwhile. last one um it's labeled one star dvd was scratched great so after we cover all of that stuff on the show usually we get into what we call the meat and potatoes section which is usually um what's working and what's not working about a given film but here similar to our david fincher ranking um we bullshit for an hour, and then we throw in the ranking in the last 10 to 15 minutes. Maybe now that we've come this far, I will quickly share what is considered the understood ranking, just for fun. And this is if you look up Rank the Muppet movies, this is sort of the commonly held belief. Uh, number eight is Muppets Most Wanted. Number seven, and this is going in decreasing order from worst to best. Number seven, Muppets from Space. Uh, number six, The Muppets. 2011 one with Jason Siegel. Number five, Muppet Treasure Island. Number four, The Great Muppet Caper. Number three, The Muppets Take Manhattan. Number two, The Muppets Christmas Carol. And number one, The Muppet Movie. So I think part of that is like if you look at any movie ranking, if you look up, hey, rank the Star Wars movies, both because it's partly true and both because people think that the first Led Zeppelin album is the best one because it's the most pure because it came out first and same thing with movies sort of um looking at ranking lists of the Muppet movies can be sort of boring because it's almost always chronological with just like a few pieces moved around saying that they just gradually get worse over time um which is like almost the case but I think that the Muppets are like a really elusive concept that like is so self-aware and meta that like the Muppets have adapted to the times in really interesting ways and um their approach to laughing at themselves and making movies about movies and um like being under the guise of being a kid's film but like making sure there's stuff for everyone in there um there aren't many movies like that anymore like, I like watching Pixar's Soul as much as the next guy, because it's a little bit of a headier Pixar movie, but I kind of don't at all want to go watch, like, The Good Dinosaur, 
or whatever other bullshit they're releasing. Like, I'm sure Coco, whatever the fuck. But it's really hard for me to get out of bed for a kid's movie these days. And the Muppets are an exception. Um, I think they are timeless. Kind of like, in, in a tonal balance of, like, Charlie Brown. Where you're like, this is for kids? Question mark? I recently got, if you haven't heard, I recently got a tattoo from Charlie Brown. So I feel the need to constantly justify that decision by working it into my life and the show. Oh, come on, Charlie Brown. No. I'll hold it steady. No. Please. You just want me to come running up to kick that ball so you can pull it away and see me land flat on my back and kill myself. This time you can trust me. See? Here's a signed document testifying that I promise not to pull it away. It is signed. It's a signed document. I guess if you have a signed document in your possession, you can't go wrong. This year, I'm really going to kick that football. Ah! Peculiar thing about this document, it was never notarized. I say, let's start this little list. Now that we are on around the hour mark of the program. Um, number eight is consistent with um, the, the general populace, and it is Muppets Most Wanted. Since we've already spent a lot of time on the general topic of Muppets, I won't get too in-depth here, but I think the Muppets Most Wanted was pretty half-baked. Um, I wrote down that it killed their modern momentum in that Muppets 2011... Like really brought them back, like critically and commercially, and like people cared about the Muppets again, which like seems pretty impossible. And I really think that Disney could have gone in a direction of caring about their trademark a lot more if they continued to succeed. And the Muppets Most Wanted really kind of crashed and burned, um, at least receiving mixed reviews and not doing great at the box office. And so it kind of put a huge halt on all Muppet properties for the last six or seven years. So I'm not resentful, um, if you can't tell by the sound of my voice. Despite that, it's actually a pretty good movie. Um, I don't hate any of the movies that we're about to talk about. Oddly enough, like they're all, they'll have their own redeeming qualities. And so it's sort of apples and oranges at a certain point to put these next to each other. You lose Amy Adams and Jason Segel from the prior movie, who are both great. And you gain Ricky Gervais, Tina Fey, and uh, the dad from Modern Family. I was too lazy to look up his name. Ricky Gervais I find kind of annoying. Tina Fey is great. I read a quote from the director, and they're like, we tried to use as little green screen as possible, but like still, we did it for practical reasons. And up to this point, like I'm pretty sure like, really not at all did Muppet movies use computer effects because that's like the joy of it is the tactile nature and then I saw some behind the scenes footage for Muppets Haunted Mansion and it's like all in green screen and like it shows and just and they're just focusing a lot less on puppets more and more just on like CG and it's like what how did you think that this was a good idea like your whole business model is you avoiding that and you making practical effects number seven 
Um, I watched it for the first time yesterday, and it's Muppet Christmas Carol, and I don't mean to piss so many people off so early in the list, but a lot of people really like this movie. Um, at my family Christmas party every year, we go over to our cousin's house, and I love the Muppets, and they always have Muppet Christmas Carol on, and as a kid, it, like, scared the crap out of me. I just think it's, like, too serious. Like, Michael Caine has a quote about how he he played it literally like he was in a drama, like Sans Muppets, and I like Michael Caine, uh, Master Wayne, you know, he's Alfred Pennyworth. It's just, like, not Muppety enough, and it gets into the territory of just, like, there's too much human involvement, too much human action that I don't give a fuck about, and, um, sort of, like, the Muppet characters as themselves are put in the backseat, and when you are adapting something, uh, like the Muppets were doing in the 90s with the Christmas Carol and Treasure Island, you're kind of, like, burdened with story that you have to tell, even though the Muppets have, like, prided themselves on not, like, having, like, a relative arc, but, like, the details of it not being important, and now it's, like, you have a real old man as your main character, and you have to, like, have, like, several serious scenes about, like, life and loss, which maybe is just why less appealing for me to, like, watch on a moment's notice, and I wrote that it's one of those movies that you only really are interested in around Christmas, which, um, which says something, just because movies, when it's snowing in it, you're like, ah, it's cold out, so this is tonally correct. Number six on the list is Muppet Treasure Island, um, one of the few DVDs I had as a child's Muppet Treasure Island, along with Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. I watched both these movies 100 plus times, probably why I care about the Muppets now, subconsciously at least. Um, Tim Curry's fucking great, but by and large there's too many humans. I mentioned the teenager who was going through puberty and sings a bunch of songs, and uh, it's kind of grating. Um, this is a Rizzo-heavy movie. Which, you know, I'm always down for. Love power. A little love power. Stronger than the hurricane. Softer than the summer rain. Love power. What kind of power? A little love power. It can you up, lift you up when you get low. I wrote that it's still pretty pure, and to watch Muppets do pirate antics, like, in the last 30 minutes is pretty great, but the Muppet movies, like, I know that from their origins, it's been a, it's been about that they do songs, and they do skits, and I just feel like the skits, or I guess the, the quote drama, or the narrative, is so much stronger, more entertaining, more rewatchable, than the songs, because, like, 60% of the songs in Muppet movies, I'm, like, actively, like, a little annoyed by, and so we are now into the final five, and at number five, there is the Muppet movie, um, which is the first, and people will, might consider this an abomination, because, um, people think that what comes out first is the best, and from a Henson purity uh, black tar heroine sort of perspective, like yes, like I feel like this is like the driest of all the Muppet movies, dry humor wise. Hey, lady, is this seat taken? Hey, you, hey, bring that back! 
I'm so nervous. If I'm not funny, I won't be able to live with myself. Well, then you'll have to get another apartment, won't you? You know, I hear this movie is dynamite. Get it here fresh, organic popcorn. Only a buck. Oh, honey, buy me some, please. Oh, sure, Mama, nothing's too good for my woman. Woman! 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 Well, I like the movie fine so far. It hasn't started yet. That's what I like about it. <laughs> and um, it's, it's intentionally basic because it's just about the Muppets getting together. And, um, yeah, and, and I wrote this kind of is a varying problem, but I wrote that the, the Muppet movies are largely... They don't revolve around celebrity cameos, but they all ha make a point to do that. And I wrote that the celebrity cameos in the Muppet movies are weird because you don't know what's a celebrity cameo and what is just, like, a side character with one line of dialogue because the people who were famous then aren't really famous anymore. Then we have The Muppets, 2011. Um, saw this movie when I was 10 years old with my mom and my sister in the theater, and I very much remember leaving the theater loving it um my mom sang the Menomina song it's very catchy I read in the research that that song was adapted from Italian porn music. Very classy. Um, now into the big three. At number three, we have Muppets from Space. And um, the easy way to talk about this is to say that it's like the most stoned out of its mind Muppets movie. Um, May 1999, like the greatest year in modern film history. But what's also helping is that there are no original songs. And, like, that's why most people put it on the bottom of their list, just because they're like, this is against everything that the Muppets stand for. But it's just, like, 90 minutes of Muppets dialogue and, like, riffing. And um, it just, like, moves right by. Like, it's the best and easiest background movie pretty much, like, ever. I don't know. Uh, my sister, there's a scene in this movie where Gonzo gets struck by lightning and then goes into space and, like, talks with Cosmic Fish, and they tell him about his alien brethren who are coming to get him. And me and my sister spent a lot of time talking about the Cosmic Fish. Gonzo, are you sure you're okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I have to respond. I gotta make contact! Ah. Where's he going with those keys? Who cares? Flying saucer, maybe. Dos deuces. Huh? The prawn cracker wins. Paratoos! <laughs> I swear, I had four aces. I really did. I had four aces. You got to know when to hold no, it. No, 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 no. Know when to hold no. it. Know <laughs> when to hold it. So now, numero dos is the Muppets Take Manhattan. I spent a bunch of time deliberating between the final two, and this is the conclusion I came to. Um, this movie, I'm biased because any movie that takes place in New York, automatically, I'm a little charmed by. And there's also the much long-awaited Muppet Wedding. Um, there's a whole subplot about Kermit juggling women, both a, a human character and 
um, and Miss Piggy at the same time, and it's awesome. And then there are two songs specifically, the opening song and the closing song, Together Again and Somebody's Getting Married, which are, like, really, really great. Um, and also, this movie in particular, like, all Muppet movies are about show business, but this one is about getting, like, getting rejected by producers, you know, succeed. I'm, most of the Muppet movies are about them putting on a show in some capacity, but this one is, like, the best example of movies about making movies, you know. And then that, by process of elimination, that leaves The Great Muppet Caper at number one. And uh, when I lived in Utah... Um, I must have watched this movie 50 times or so. I would just get into a place where I would come home from work every day, and I would just want to watch, like, the same movie as the night before, and I would just watch the same movie for a week or two in a row, and The Great Muppet Caper was one of those movies. It's, it's so, it's so dry and pithy, and, um, I, the humor, like, makes you feel so smart because of like how dumb it is or maybe it makes you feel dumb because of how smart it is but um the sequence with miss piggy uh swimming in the water is like nothing short of a technical achievement um all the songs are really catchy and i think the best part about the humans in the great muppet caper and the muppets take manhattan in particular is that the humans are like 100 percent like, they're playing it straight, like, they're interacting with, like, real people, and, like, that there isn't, like, a frog in their restaurant or whatever, compared to, like, in a way that's different from Michael Caine, where he's playing it straight, but, like, in, like, an, like, he's playing Ebenezer Scrooge, so no fault of his own, but where him being the main character becomes a fault because you are following someone who is not fun when the whole premise of the Muppets is about following Kermit the Frog and Fozzie Bear or Gonzo, who are consistently very fun. Let me briefly shout out Muppets from Space for including a cameo from none other than Ray Liotta, um, an actor from Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas, who also makes an appearance in Muppets Must Wanted. And uh, it's very funny to see all of like the very serious actors who find themselves um, making cameos in the Muppet movies. And this is something of a famous thing. The reason you can have Michelle Pfeiffer be a guest on the episode of Muppets Tonight is because the puppeteers went through great lengths to make the experience as enjoyable as possible for the celebrities. For the celebrities, and they made them, and they let them choose whether they wanted the show to be singing-based or more comedy-based, and really let them play a role in the creative process. And so, one famous person they would recommend it to their friend, and basically because they were playing with toys and their connections and their budget were perhaps on the lower end. They prided themselves on treating the guests really well, and that's how they got such esteemed people over the years and why people like Ray Liotta are still down to play a security guard in Muppets from Space when you're something of a, quote, serious cinema-goer, um, and you see Ray Liotta playing a version of, like, Henry Hill. You're, like, in a Muppets movie, you're like, this is the best. Well, that... It's, like, kind of pretty much that. Um, fun fact, if I'm able to edit this in the next two hours, yeah, this will be the first episode that is recorded on the same day that it is released. That's probably something to do with the fact that Parth is the responsible backbone of this program, and um, 
I am trying to be loyal to the fact that we release things on Sundays because we have a pretty good, quote, religious schedule about it because it's Sunday. And we like to have the expression that it's like going to church, like listening to our show. So um, maybe I should stop talking so I could get into the editing process so I can add in a bunch of clips of like Kermit the Frog talking and stuff. And then I can post it on your favorite um, streaming platform, like Spotify and Apple Music, or wherever else you may get your podcast. But if you're listening on something other than those two things, like I don't really know what you're all about. But um, I already teased, or I didn't tease it, I told you with like ex- like extreme detail what the next episodes are going to be. Um, so I don't have a whole lot to say right now. Except for Parth, if you're listening, hello. You are the other host of this show. Um, if you listen to me babble all this time, congrats. You're a good friend for that. Um, other than that, you know, um, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, scroll down and give us a little five-star review. That'd be very nice. Um, that is all for now. Goodbye. Uh, enjoy the outro music.